Welcome to a ride on the outside. MMA is full of people on the inside, but what about the ones that watch from beyond? Welcome to the MMA Outsiders with Tom Albano and Zan Bando on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. All right, final episode of 2023. Tom Alvano here along with Sam Bando as always. And Sam coming off of the final UFC card for 2023. And yet we still have one more uh, card, in, at least in the world of boxing, to have to talk about, which we'll preview today. That's the thing. It's going to be a lot of re- previewing and a lot of recapping in this episode with UFC 296. Uh, two champions, Leon Leon Edwards and Alexander Pantoja, retaining their uh, championships. Pretty one-sided fights. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the exciting prelims that happened. Jake Paul needing less than 10 punches to get the job done against Andre August. Uh, and then all the talk around Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. So it should be a pretty, pretty fun card. So, Zan, are you ready for the last episode of this year? Yeah, I'm definitely ready for the last episode, and it's great that you mentioned there's a lot of preview and a lot of recapping because you would think in the world of MMA that, that there would finally be a bit of closure to the year like there is in other traditional sports like the NFL and NBA, but no, we do have one more card to preview, and as we always like to say on this show, there, there is no offseason, and MMA is living up to its name in that, in that sort. Before we continue on, Hit this episode of the MMA Outsiders. We'd like to remind you to please like and subscribe to the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Be sure to share this show across all forms of social media at ETV Network across uh, Facebook, X, and Instagram. Then, of course, my name is Zan Bando. You can find my work over at bjpen.com. And I am also a staff writer uh, for MMA. I part of the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation umbrella um, on Sunday morning. So if you need any post-fight fallout or, or post-fight fixes, I'm your man for that. And then to my left is my longtime co-host, Tom Albano. You can find his work over at MMA News and Fanside and MMA. And he also just wrapped up a very successful uh, PFL season doing live results for their website. So stay tuned for more uh, from him in the, in the weeks and months to come on that front. But back to uh, beginning the show. Yeah, I'm definitely excited for this episode. We had a very... A successful UFC 296 of in Vegas, um, an event that I think had a lot of added height to it, just given how intense uh, the press conference was and all the media day festivities that went along uh, with it. And I, I feel like before we get into it, I think you and I can both wholeheartedly agree that uh, this card delivered in a little bit more overall. What were your initial impressions of UFC 296, both as a pay per view, just kind of how it came off on TV, the build up during the week. What did you what did you think of it? I thought the undercard delivered in terms of the prelims. The prelims were absolute fire. I thought the main card could have been a lot better. I think and I'm not going to put when I say the undercard and I say the main card could have been better, I'm not gonna put the fault at the feet of say Shakop Romanov, because I know a lot of people have been complaining about his performance. He submitted Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who had never been submitted before. That was not a boring fight, in my opinion. And then no. Josh Emmett, Josh Emmett delivering. Oh, uh, you know, you're talking about how, you know, certain people and certain uh, what's it called? I guess MMA news organizations want to get ahead of themselves, you know, to kind of get a little ahead of the game and finalize everything for little end of the year pieces. Uh, I think Josh Emmett produced a uh, late entry into the fight of, I mean, knockout of the year uh, award uh, debate. And I think uh, when it comes to the prelims, by the way, on that same note, uh, Irene Aldana and Carol Rosa uh, delivered a late entry into the fight of the year debate. Oh yeah. I mean, you want to talk about women's MMA classics. That's going to be right up there with, um, you want in way we uh won that's for that's for sure and it's it's funny and i guess i'll make mention since because we always put out the rating uh little poll at the end of every ufc pay-per-view where we have great good fair slash meh or poor 
and good won it. And I would kind of agree. Because if there's anything that UFC 296 had a faltering in, it was the two title fights. It was that the two title fights were, I'll be brutal, terrible, especially when you talk about this one in particular. So Leon Edwards retains his uh, welterweight championship over Colby Covington. And Zen, I mean, I, I need to give credit to, you know, it's a, it's a fellow MMA media member of uh, ours. So I want to make sure that I get the person right. I need to see who it who said it, because I forget who said it, so I got to do some searching. Uh, but they said that they felt like this was the worst UFC title fight since um, the Namunas Desparza 2 fight in 2021. And I'd have to agree on that. Yeah, that's a, that's a bold statement. But when you think back through all the title fights over the last two years, there are very few that... You can count on one hand and say, "Yeah, that one was terrible." So I'd have to do my own my own digging on that. But but I think with with whoever said that, and granted, I don't know who said it either. But um, if, oh, uh, um, Shaheen Al Shadi. Yeah, I mean, given that he's covered the sport forever, and given that he's been a fixture at ESPN and MMA fighting in other places, and how he knows the sport. If he's saying that, then that means the fight was really that terrible in his opinion. So um, that's hard to say. I do remember that that Nami Yunus fight, but fight being horrible. Um, I don't know if I would say it, it was on the level of this main event, but certainly the 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 main event lacked the fireworks that the build up to the fight did. Um, I think even though this wasn't a title fight, it it very much reminded me of the build up between uh, Rampage Jackson versus. At Evans, where the buildup was so heated and the fight just didn't deliver, it just felt very similar to that fight. There's probably a couple of other fights that I'm forgetting where, where it had that vibe. I, it's interesting, Rampage. I would think uh, Bellator with their first pay per view, I think it was 120, the rematch between him and King Mo. Mm hmm. Yeah. Which, uh, which I was, which I was there for. And, uh, and that was, and that was not, and, and that was, and that was terrible. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I like. Can I say it was worse than Namahunas as far as the two? I don't know if I can say that, but can I say it's been the worst title fight since then? You yeah. probably could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And honestly, I don't even put it at the feet of Leon Edwards. And no, like, like that was Colby Covington just putting on an absolute. Uh, no other way to put it, but bleep show in, in that cage, not doing anything for the better part of two rounds. And I'm thinking, is he trying to like save his energy for like a big rounds three through five where he'll come out blitzing or something? And he just and he, he didn't, didn't. And he and didn't he do tried, it. And he tried constantly to get Leon down. I think at one point he did get Leon down, but he it, did it just but but even then. From the bottom, Leon had more activity, and Leon no, just I, had no, more I control knew. of the fight. Got that whole fight, and Zan, I try not to be too harsh on the commentators. I try not to, because they have a job, they're there for a reason, such, but to make the kind of claim that Colby Covington could have won a round because of the positioning that he ended up on top, and the fact that they were saying, oh, I don't know what the judges might think, what the judges might think, has to be the most pandering and bias I have ever seen that commentary booth, at least since Cyborg's last UFC fight in 2019. It's a bold statement. Well, I'm going to counter you and say that I actually scored round five for Colby Covington. <laughs> I scored round five, too. But I think this was one of the earlier rounds. I think it was either round two or round three. Yeah, he 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 definitely did not win a single round until the fifth round. Did anyone who believes that either A, has not watched MMA for very long, or B, is is super biased towards Covington, and that's what they and that's what they want to believe. And, and speaking of super bias, that post-fight interview has to be. I try, and I even said it on, on uh, Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Oh, I saw it. Oh, you, you, oh, hold on. My volume effect isn't up. There we go. You, you know the tweet that I said that I try not to 
that I, I try to be impartial. I try to, you know, not be like these personality kind of figures. But Colby Covington has to be the most delusional, crazed, and complete, complete idiotic lunatic I have ever seen in a post-fight interview. To have the nerve to pull the crap that he pulled in that post-fight interview to say that he won and everybody who didn't agree was biased because, you know, he's a Trump supporter. And, I mean, Zan, I mentioned last week about the idea of the crowd advantage, that we knew that Trump was going to be there, and he got a lot of cheers, and I said, okay, that doesn't do good for Leon. And Leon himself ended up getting booed, as I figured. And then as the fight's playing out and Covington's doing nothing, the crowd is shifting in Leon's favor to the point where Covington is getting booed and panned in the post-fight interview, and he basically tells the crowd to go F themselves at the end. And it's like, I just can't freaking believe. I feel like the only reason he has that post-fight interview at that point, I like, I granted, he didn't get finished and it was a title fight, so of course he's going to get a post-fight interview. But, like, the only purpose that even served was to put over Trump ahead of... Uh, you know, to start a 2024 with the presidential election coming up in that year. But Trump, if you saw the footage on social media, Dan, he walked out in the middle of the interview. I know. He did not He did not even stick around until the end of the interview. And um, something th that I felt during that interview, too, is just, to me, he was being super classless. He was not giving Leon his tropes that Leon deserved. And uh, it's almost like he forgot that and even though this belt in many people's minds is make believe, it's almost like he forgot what knowing what a champion uh, or or knowing who a champion is supposed to be all about. And just the way just the way of him being gracious in defeat is something that I would have liked to have seen from him. And obviously he didn't do that. And then he goes in to the post fight presser and uh someone asked me, you know, do you do you regret any of the any of the comments you made during the week? And he's like Oh no! Oh, that's not that's not me in character. I, I I'm I, I'm just a guy that turns it up to eleven. And it's like really like you're gonna you're gonna go out you're gonna go out and actually and actually say hey, those things to someone where you where you were openly and deeply offensive towards your opponent about about his about his about his his father like really, you're gonna him. go you're gonna that's go you're gonna go that far. That's not even the first time. Everyone's forgetting that. I like. I get it. Maybe coach versus coach versus father is a different line of level of line crossing. But this isn't the first time we've seen him get to the level. I think back to. I think it was the first Kamaru Usman fight where he said, uh, "Oh my God, what's his name? The late trainer of the uh, Black Zillions." Oh yeah, I know who. I know who you're talking about. Black mm -hmm. Zillions, the old owner, the one who would, the one who fought with, uh, oh, Glenn Robinson. That mm -hmm. he said, Glenn Robinson. He told Kamaro that Glenn Robinson was burning in hell. This is so. This isn't the first time that we've no, seen it isn't. Colby. No, and, it isn't. And the difference, and the difference here is that you know, yeah, produces a lot of fight hype without a doubt. Um, but the difference is the. Kamaru Usman Colby Covington fights actually delivered. And after that second fight, Zan, we did see a little bit of a humble Covington where he we said, did. you know, he felt he won the fight, but he did say, you know, props to Usman and I will be back. Here, this was just complete, like I said, idiotic. How I don't know how he cannot do anything for two rounds and clearly lose on the scorecards and then say that he won the fight. I, I yeah, just don't get crazy. It. And I'll and I'll go bold here. I never want to see Colby Covington in a title fight ever again. I, I don't want him to win a championship at this point. I think and honestly, I think at this point, Dan, after that performance, I don't even care if Bilal Muhammad or Shafkat Rachmanov win the welterweight title. I think that after a performance like that, that was last chance. He's got to figure out now what he's gonna do. Otherwise, he's gonna be the gatekeeper of that division. Yeah, um, and I think I'm going to take it one step further and and say with wholehearted confidence that he will never get another UFC title shot in any division ever again. That's what that's I, what I that's what I think. I I don't disagree with you, 
if only because, okay, let's consider what his options could be next. And I talked about this with my MMA news crew. He could move up to middleweight, but I don't think he has the size or the power to handle the 185-pound class. I think he'd lo- I think he'd lose to everyone in the top six right now at this very at this very moment. He lose he lose to all of them. <laughs> That's he, I, he would th- lose. Th- no, yo, yo, you're right. He would lose to Strickland. He would lose to DDP. Whitaker would crush him in a would second. Smoke, smoke him. <laughs> and then and then if you move down and then if he goes down, that this is more realistic. Him dropping more weight and going down to 155. The problem is. I think Poirier would smoke him. I think Gagey would smoke him. I think Oliveira would smoke him. I think Makachev would tap him out in a round or two. I think Connor would beat him too. You think Connor would beat him? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. If we have our criticisms about him all, all the time, but you don't think you don't you don't you don't think, think that Conor McGregor would get up would get up for that fight? Because I the problem uh, well the problem is you know Colby Covington like we mentioned the fights that he's had before the two Usman fights the Robbie Lawler fight the Mazidal fight we haven't seen Covington to the disappointing level that this Leon Edwards fight was and they're thinking right. you know maybe it was ring rust but then here's my question you know and I and. This is one of those things where it's like I'm saying the question, though I know the answer, and because of the fight hype, and it's because of his character. Right. Why was he getting a title shot after nearly two full years on the shelf, and his last win coming against George Mosvidal, who was already on the downhill at that point and nearing retirement? Well, um, I think it's the reason why. I think it's the reason um, with what you just said. I mean, I think Colby Covington garners a lot of interest from not only the hardcore fan but the casual fan that only knows a couple of fighters and maybe doesn't understand the difference between UFC being a promotion and MMA being an actual sport. He he kind of fits that fits that culture of people who I don't want to say. Are not intelligent, but he fits. He fits the culture of those people that you know, you know, read the headline for five minutes and don't read uh, the actual story. That that makes sense, and it seems like that's what I'm not saying. The UFC is slowly but surely um, turning into that. But if you look at some of these undeserved title shots over the last few years, they have a similar theme, and I think that Covington fit the bill that the UFC was looking for. And I'm sure in the back of a lot of those executives' heads, they, they probably wanted to see Covington win because they, and they could have built him as this big star. And oh, they're probably stuck in a corner figuring out, okay, what are we what are we going to do next? That, that's I, just a theory. That, it's just I, coming no, it's from a, that's a, it's a legitimate theory. But it's also something I posted on social media, again, about exceptions to the rule. I think if you're somebody like a John Jones, and his title shot earlier this year, or George St. Pierre getting the title shot against Bisping at 17. You know, Jones and, and Jones and St. Pierre have proven themselves to be GOAT level in that octagon. Colby Covington has not done that. I mean, I'll, I'll give you another example. Frankie Edgar uh, got knocked out by Brian Ortega, fought a month in 2018, fought about a month or two later, I think it was against Cub Swanson, got the win. And then he got a title shot against Holloway, but it didn't come for about like 15 months. I didn't think that that was the kind of way to, I I mean, I get it. It's Frankie Edgar. He's a legend, but that's not the way to get the title shot. Uh, And maybe it was because to get Max's, you know, star power and image. That's probably what, Hey, but I guess I'm going to, I'm going to ask a follow-up. Do you think John Jones and Jordan St. Pierre's title shots and they were in different divisions, were, were, were deserving at the times that they were granted? Or do you think that it follows a similar theme of undeserved title shots because of superstardom? Or do you think that every situation is simply different? I think maybe every situation is, is different. Let me think back to it, because like we had 2017, and I think Yoel Romero was supposed to get a title shot, ends up uh, a Michael Bisping ends up getting hurt around the time of the, you know, will he fight? That's that's right. Yeah, he, will he not? 
So, and then there's that whole debate about if GSP will even get the title shot. And then there was the idea that on the side about potentially Woodley fighting GSP. And then he has the boring rematch with Wonder Boy and the boring match with Maya to the point where Dana has to say in the press conference, no, it, it's going to be Bisping GSP, which by the way, then Romero lost his title shot anyways, because Whitaker beats him in the interim title fight. And then a year later ends up missing weight anyway. So I think, did GSP jump the line? Yes, but I think it honestly did make for a little more of an interesting title picture. Jones? Jones is an issue because because of the whole Francis thing. You know, yeah, I that, would find... that's, Yeah, that, that's... For sure. So do you think, realistically, the UFC, instead of doing jones Gange would have just done... Gone versus Aspinall for the vacant heavyweight title, and the winner of that fight would have fought Jones upon his return. What do you What do you think? I'm like going back and forth in my head about it because because at the time nobody expected like you have to remember fallacy of predetermined. Nobody at that time expected that John Jones was going to be in, on the injured list at the point that he is now. And no. I think and I think Jones's situation just points to the fact that you know like it lies at the fault of C and and company that they couldn't get Jones and Ganu done because I think you could have gotten Jones and Ganu done in 20 or 21 without a heavyweight title on the line and that fight still would have been a draw oh without a heavyweight title on the line so you don't think there would have been a title at stake at all I think there could well, I think they did have an opportunity. I'm not sure if you remember Zan, but twenty in twenty twenty they were trying to figure out what was going on with Miochik and Comier because they were trying to do the third fight. And Jones and Nganu basically said, you know, Jones wanted to go to heavyweight and Ganu said, I'll welcome him. They you know, they brought it up on social media that the idea of an interim title fight at that point with the winner oh, to fight Miochik. Oh, that that's right. And Comier for an undisputed title. That's when the fight now could they have done it? You know, would it still been great in 2023 when Jones had all that time and he, oh, and oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. But I feel like the iron was most hot in 2020. They should have jumped on Jones versus Nganu at that point and then just had the winner fight Stipe. Then when Stipe beat Comier that third time, and then could you and then could you have imagined how big the at the that that rematch could have been with the two year with the two year build up that would have been that would have been huge absolutely so that's Jones's situation so I guess in a long form answer yeah I think that every situation is kind of different interesting so we had Edwards obviously he defends UFC welterweight title do you think that his next fight will be against Bilal or do you think it'll be against Shavkat because we had Edwards apparently does not think that Bilal should. His words, not mine, jump the line to fight him. What do you what do you think of Leon of Leon Edwards' comments? And do you think that there's a chance that the UFC could screw over Bala Muhammad yet again? Well, it's funny that you say that, San, because just a few minutes before we started recording, uh oh, John Anik chimed into the situation. I'll read his tweet word for word. I'll quote. Please enlighten me as to why anyone else would get the next welterweight title shot other than Bilal Muhammad. Case looks iron case looks ironclad to me, even if he didn't have the no contest slash history versus the champion. Even Shavkat Rachmanov has acknowledged Bilal's credentials. Inane banter. And I was talking to somebody saying they feel like that Wonder Boy, you know, for as much of a veteran as Wonder Boy is. And for the fact that he's a former title challenger and, you know, it was a five versus six matchup, as we talked about, that Wonder Boy wasn't the true kind of test that could tell for Rachmanov to see if he deserved the title shot. But this person was also not a fan of Bilal and thought, you know, the typical Bilal complains he's boring and he doesn't finish guys. But kind of even with uh, Anik said, you know, considering that Bilal Muhammad is the one person Leon Edwards in his winning streak you know, didn't beat because it was a no contest. I feel like that has to be the next matchup. I feel like with how Colby performed, you know, if Leon is going to remain at welterweight, he's not going to look down to lightweight for a double champ or up the middleweight for a double champ. Then the UFC Zan has only one of two options for Bilal. Okay. One is to give him the title shot. 
The other is him versus Shavkat, title eliminator, winner has to fight Liana. Or do they make up some bullcrap interim title and that's what those two end up fighting for because they can just make interim titles whenever they want? I mean, I will, I'll never rule that out. I'll never rule that out. But I, But then I thought of an interesting idea and people seem to be on it. Okay, what is it? Leon, I mean, Bilal gets the title shot against Leon. Okay. We need somebody top five for Shavkat to prove himself against. Well, we just said a certain somebody will now be the gatekeeper of the division. Uh, Covington versus Rachmanov. Oh, my goodness. Well, when you want to talk about um, Colby Covington, and this is weird to say this, but it feels this way considering how he just fought. That's Colby Covington being thrown to the wolves, and I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not opposed to it. I, well, I, I was going to say, I don't. After that performance, I don't think he has a choice. If he's going to yeah. stay away, well, he's got to fight down. He's got to no. fight the guy who's on the rise. And if no, he's going to, and if he's going to pull the crap and not fight at lightweight and not fight at middleweight and Jim want welterweight and he wants the constant big fights, then I have another solution for him. And it's a, you know, and I wouldn't want to say it. And I wouldn't want to say it, you know, for Covington after all that we talked about, but how, considering how he aged in the octagon, if he's not willing to fight down, I got to talk about the dreaded R word. I'm not going to go that far. My solution would be, um, if you don't want to do any of those things, then uh, consider boxing and we'll see you. We'll see you later. Oh, that's okay. I say maybe I shouldn't say R word, but then at that point, sit out your contract and who knows, maybe PFL will give you a call. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about the PFL needing big stars that's as big of a star as you could possibly have if they were to sign him. But that's either here or there. Right, but, but, that's know, if, but that's if Covington's willing to do the extreme. I don't think he is. But at that point, I don't think he has a choice. He's got to face somebody like a like a shop guy. Right. So that's kind of put to bed. It's going to be interesting to see what Leon Edwards is next. But now we move to the co-main event, which was Alexandre Pantoja and Brandon Royval, they had their long-awaited rematch two years in the making. And as I predicted, um, Alexandre Pantoja defended his flyweight title, pretty much beating Brandon Royval at his own game, uh, neutralized the striking well, took Royval down several times, hurt Royval with several really nasty shots, could have finished the fight in the third and fourth round, but played it a little bit more conservative. I thought overall this was Pantoja's best win of his career by far. And, uh, to me, he looks like the best flyweight in the world, and I don't think he's going to be losing the belt for quite some time. What did you think of his performance? Did you think Royval did the best he could in there? Um, could you see at some point in the future um, these two fighting again? What did you What did you think of the fight? I mean, and I and I said this to somebody too. You know, the two the two title fights weren't exactly great. But one, one, the one that we just talked about, was because of inactivity. This one, it was one-sided because of a dominant performance. Alexander Pantoja just constantly took Brandon Royval down, constantly pinned him, constantly had the upper hand in this fight. Royval looked tired by the third, fourth round. Like you said, I think there could have been some sort of finish. But Pantoja just, it was a complete toying with. It was like, it was. you know, I, I love Brandon Royval, but it was like playing with, you know, a kid playing with a doll. And I question if Brandon Royville really was ready to go full five minute round, five, five minute rounds with uh, a guy like Pantoja. And I think Pantoja was just ready and willing and able to do everything to take control of that fight. And it, it was, a. would say, I don't want to see it was a, I can't even fault that Brandon Royal. I can't say it was a bad performance as much as it was on him, as much as it was just an absolutely dominant performance by Alex Pantosha. And I kind of agree with you that, you know, I, I want to see these two. I want to see Brandon Royville get another shot. I don't know if I want to see these two fight again, at least for a little while. I think Brandon Royville is going to have to go to the drawing board. As far as Alex Pantosha goes, you know, I think he's very skilled with his grappling and his pacing of a fight. He did not look tired one bit that I think you're right, that there's a chance he could hold on to this flyweight title for a little while, that the hot potato wing could stop. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Zan, 
Moreno and Albazi are scheduled to meet early that's, in 2024. That's correct. That's one versus two. Uh, logic would dictate to me, and logic would dictate to me, uh, and I guess should be dictated in this fight, whoever wins that fight is next in line to challenge Fantosia. I would say so. Oh, two, some other challengers to look out for in 2024 is, um, is I'm sure KKF is going to be chomping at the bit. Oh, yeah, he'll be back. He'll um, be back in the picture. He'll be, he'll be back for sure. And then of course, um, um, of course, uh, Ulan Beckoff, who was sitting at, um, who was sitting at, um, I believe it was, well, he's he out of the top number 15. Yeah, so he's he's currently sitting number twelve, and after his win this weekend, he'll be moving up and for sure. So after Pantoja's next fight, we assume it's going to be the Moreno Albazi winner. He's going to have a lot of um, fresh matchups in flyweight, and as you kind of alluded to, I think the hot potatoing, assuming Pantoja wins his next fight, will certainly stop and it'll freshen up the division, which is something that flyweights needed for probably about four years now. Oh, that the Figgy Moreno rivalry is 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 officially over. So um, it'll be it'll be interesting. He's definitely someone that I think the UFC could build around. Uh, Dana was very uh, high on Brazil and going back to Brazil um, several times in 2024, and he hinted that he has Pantoja in his plans uh, to headline one of those cards. So I think overall the UFC is in a very good place at flyweight, and I think they like what Pantoja can do. And uh, his 2024, I think, is about to be very, very interesting. So I'm very excited to see how he does. We mentioned Shavkat before, Zan, so let's talk about it. You know, the first round, maybe all that wasn't all too exciting. But that was, as fellow of our media members point out, one boring round in a career now that we talked about it last week. And we'll talk about it here. 18-0 and 0 now. All finishes in his MMA career. I don't think he's seen a third round. In nope. his MMA career. Not only not only has he never seen a third round, but I don't know about you, Tom, but it just seems like he gets nastier and nastier every single time he fights, no matter no matter who he's fighting. It's he it was like he's just this he's just this wizard that's come out of nowhere. And um he, he's definitely very entertaining. He's definitely someone that has the potential. I'm just I'm just gonna say it, he has that potential to be one of the great it is fighters, not just in UFC history, but in MMA in MMA history. Period. If he if he keeps this up, because this is just getting more and more impressive every single time he steps in there. It's almost like Wonder Boy didn't even didn't even phase him. It's like it's like it doesn't even matter who's in there. He always finds a way to win. And to be the first guy to submit Wonder Boy Thompson, someone who's tough as nails and someone who's fought for the title several times and has been in the UFC for. A, Decades to do it to a guy as world class as him is ultra impressive, and he's definitely someone that if he doesn't get a title shot in 2024, early 2025, he he will be in the title fight, and I, I would not be surprised if if we begin the year 2025 or even late 2024, which Shavkat is the welterweight champion of the world, because he's slowly but surely becoming someone that nobody wants. And to fight, so credit to Wonder Boy for fighting him. But I just feel like the rest of the 170 pound division now is just being put on notice, and he's definitely someone very keen on watching out for in the in the in the months uh, to come for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, like I said, I, I think the fight with uh, Colby Covington is the fight really to make. You know, like I said, I don't know if he gets the title shot right now off a win over Wonder Boy, but it's time to test him against one of these guys in the top five, former title challenger, or hell, why not throw him there with Usman if you want a former champion? That yeah, would be... I I think I think Shavkat versus versus Usman is more likely than Shavkat versus Covington. I to... I wouldn't mind seeing Shavkat versus Usman, and if he and if he could beat a Covington or an Usman. Then Zan, I think the UFC has no choice but to. Although, get although there might, although there might be a problem with that because Usman still has not said whether or not he wants to stay at eighty-five or go back to seventy. So right. Well, I'm going to go under the assumption until then that he is staying at seventy. Um, I for somebody like Usman, if he wants to go to one eighty-five, 
then I want to see him with a full camp at 185, not any of the filling like he did at 294. Me too. Uh, Patty Pimlet. I mean, yeah, look, I, I, I understand all the hype around Patty. I, I get it. But this does not come off as a strong win to me. No. It's not because of Patty and a, and a and I think he you know doesn't have the talent that people say he has, but it's just Tony Ferguson is not the Tony Ferguson of 2017. Tony Ferguson's not the Tony Ferguson of 2020. This is this is just a sad sight to see now that Tony Ferguson officially has you know alongside BJ Penn the longest losing consecutive losing streak in the history of the UFC, and this. And look, I feel like with the kind of talent, I'll give this one negative about Patty. Okay. I understand like Tony has tough, is tough, has a great chin, but for all the fight hype that he's getting and all the levels of excitement people have for him, Tony Ferguson should have been a guy he should have finished. Yeah. I mean, he had him, he had him beaten the first round and he couldn't, and he couldn't get him out of there, which I think is a testament to, to Ferguson hanging in there and not, Timblet's desire to finish him because I'm sure he wanted to. It's just Tony's so tough and he's going to hang in there until the final seconds. But yeah, given where Tony Ferguson is at in his career, this should have been a very easy, um, an easy finish and, and, and one where he should have had no issues just getting in, handling his business and getting out. Um, I think this does not, I'm just, I'm just going to say it. I think a win over Tony Ferguson now or to a win over Tony Ferguson three years ago, did nothing to, to raise Patty Pimblett's stock at all. I think, I think Patty Pimblett is in the exact same position that he was when he, when he quote-unquote barely beat or Gordon. I, I, I still don't think he's the fighter that maybe that maybe people are, are, are making him out to be. And he, he simply needs tougher competition. He cannot be fighting older fighters just to pad his record because of – Injury, it's going to go back to bite him. I'm not, I'm not saying that this was a setup fight for Pimble, but what I am saying is he needs to be very careful with, um, with who the UFC is matching him up against because given how competitive that division is and just given how much star power is in that division and given who the champion is in that division right now, no, it, there's no easy fight in the top 15. It will in the top and the top five or the top three. So if if he if he's careful, it it smells disaster on his way up towards his title shot. It might actually be the reason that he may never get one. Oh, Zan, so, if you throw him, don't even say the top five. I think if you throw Patty right now in there with somebody at top ten, I think whoever the top ten fighter is starches Patty Pimlet. I think he's gonna. I think after this Tony Ferguson fight, you talk about facing tougher competition. He's gonna get somebody ranked eleven through fifteen next. But the performances against Jared Gordon, Tony Ferguson, Sam, has me questioning if Patty mm-hmm. would win that fight against a ranked uh, lightweight fighter right now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's said, and, and, and yeah, I mean, just a quick point on Tony Ferguson. I think at this point, seven losses in a row, the only thing you can do now is just sit back and, 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 and retire. He doesn't need to be doing this anymore. He has nothing left to prove. He, at, at one time, he was one of the best lightweights in the world. At one time, he was the interim UFC lightweight champion. At one time, he was on the verge of fighting either Conor McGregor or Khabib Nurmagomedov, and both fights would have been massive for his, for his career. Neither of those occurred. So, at this point, given everything that he's gone through personally and professionally, I think it's time for him to hang it up, call it a career, and figure out something else to do. It's yeah, it's as simple. Um, he it, can stay in the game. He can stay in the game as a coach or something. I mean, he was coached on tough by Brock Lesnar. He mm-hmm. had you know plenty of great coaches. And Dan, I don't forget. I don't know if you were listening to the commentary. He's talking about how basically Tony's kind of coaching himself, and he's not doing any sparring. It's, it, it's concerning the direction that he's going in. And yeah, it's, it's, it's it's very UFC, and and shame on the UFC and the athletic commissions for not putting a stop to this. It, it's time now to put a stop to this. If I, I see another Tony Ferguson fight, like if I see another Tony Ferguson fight, Zan, like as much as it's he's been on now the last two two of the bigger, more recent UFC pay-per-view cards, I'd have to question if I'd purchase that card because 
I can't support, you know, somebody like a Tony Ferguson being thrown in there, especially considering, as you mentioned, all the not even just the professional struggles, all the personal struggles he's had outside of the octagon as well. Well said. It's going to be interesting to see what the UFC decides to do, but I think the the, the choice is easy, and Dana even alluded to it that yeah. he'd like to see him retire. So we'll, we'll see what happens on that front. I'll add one more theory out there, though, Zan, because I saw it mentioned on social media. It's just and it's just a theory because they're talking about Patty and all the hype and everything, and of course because he's Irish born and blood and leads Irish. The comparisons to Connor and somebody said, "Well, what if they're setting up?" For Conor McGregor versus Patty Pimble at some point down the line, rather than Patty fighting a top fifteen guy or a title shot guy. Oh no way! They can't. They can't do that. I I think that was a little. I think that was a little far fetched. I agree with you, but I was just figuring to ask it. Yeah, I don't. I don't see that happening. And uh, if it if it does, it's gonna make me question what the promotion is thinking, considering where Connor is in his career right now compared to where Pimwit is to where just none of the none of the attributes make any sort of sense when you look at that stylistically age wise camp wise the whole thing the, the the whole fight does not make sense at all in my opinion I agree with you I agree with you on that uh May card opens in a really spectacular kind of way. And I say spectacular, kind of also horrifying at the same time. Where Josh Emmett in less than in less than two or three minutes just needs one right hand, drops Bryce Mitchell out cold, and Mitchell is convulsed. He is shaking in the middle of the octagon. It is one of the scariest sights I've seen. Yeah, that's one of the worst knockouts I've ever seen. That's like the knockout that took place on season seven of the ultimate fighter with um, Amir Sadala knocking out his opponent and his opponent's jaw was broken and everyone was scared. Oh, that was I instant. That. Oh. that was it. That was instant. What I was thinking of or the one when uh, you a hall landed the most famous spinning back kick of all time. That uh, when that one, that one was also horrible and, and too. And if I'm not mistaken, after Uriah landed out spinning back, his opponent was on the ground, like, moaning in pain after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody everybody was scared. Yeah. But, was... but but this one, this one is a modern-day version of both of those combined. And I, I, I'm just grateful in the sense that Bruce Mitchell is okay. He posted a video today, um, or, or a video, a video uh, yesterday, rather, on his, on his ex-account at his farm, pretty much just saying that, He's grateful to the UFC um, and the and the doctors in Vegas for taking care of him after his knockout and uh, and 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 for Josh Hammond, it's not even it's not even a question. This is the most impressive win, not just of his UFC career, but but of his MMA career. And he's very much in the mix for another title shot, and he'll probably end up getting one at some point in 2024 because he's never in a boring fight. He's always exciting and. He's still one 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 of the best fighters in the world, and someone who I think could challenge uh, Yara Rodriguez in a rematch. In my opinion, a fight that may end up being extremely different. Yeah, uh, I mean, Sam, I did say that Bryce Mitchell going in on short notice—that was a big risk against somebody with all the power, like a Josh Emmett. And I mean, after that fight, Sam, would I like to see the uh, Yara Rodriguez rematch? Yeah, but after a. a after a fight like that, it's like one of those things. It's like the Francis knockout of Alistair Overeem that basically, you know, maybe you want to give him another fight and he should have another fight before the title shot. But you look at that kind of knockout and it's like he could ride that momentum to challenge the winner of Volk Tapuria. Because as far as I know, we haven't seen Volk and Emmett. We haven't seen Tapuria and Emmett. Um, correct. So... And that's a, those either way. That's a fresh matchup for either of those guys, and that would be a hell of a title fight for sure. Which one would you rather see first? If only because of the way up until Islam beat him, the way that Volk has been dominant at 145 pounds. Like I should even say, you know, when, when Islam beat him, because obviously no one did that the way that Islam did that, but I was at 155. But the way that Volk has basically taken the 145-pound division 
and like now crushes in the palm of his hand and holds it like an like a iron fist. I, I feel like I would want to see that fight. Yeah, Volker. Oh, 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 actually, actually, Emma did fight uh, Taporia. It was um, it was all the way back at UFC and ABC five. So they did, they did fight. All right. Was, when, it, were, it was, when was that? Twenty twenty one, twenty. No, it would have been uh, it would have been um, June of twenty twenty three. Oh, Emmett did fight to. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. I was like skeptical when I said that loud. I'm like, oh wait a minute, Emmett and Tapuria did fight. Mm-hmm. It was the it was the main event of UFC Jacksonville, and Emmett won the fight. Oh, right, that was the Jacksonville card. Yeah, mm-hmm. and actually, that was pretty dominant. So you know, actually, the fact that that was dominant, San, makes me even say forever. I want to see both versus Emmett. You do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to see it too. Uh, looking at the preliminary card, by the way, uh, I want to give a shout out to Irene Aldana and Cal Rosa. I think, Zan, you put that up there with Whaley and Joanna as one of the greatest women's MMA fights ever. Yeah, that was definitely one of them and a very nice bounce back for Irene Aldana after losing, um, to Amanda Nunes earlier for this year. And it's good to see given, uh, that, you know, the vacant title is going to be taking place. Um, in 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 January, that sh- he's gonna be she's gonna be right in the mix for the winner of um for the winner of the Pennington um you know Silva fight, and I think she wants another crack at that title, and she's definitely in the mix. Good learning experience for Rosa; she'll be back, but um, Aldon is simply the better fighter, and that's all you can really say. So, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, a good win after losing in Nunes this last fight, but you know. Like these two just traded away and they pounded at one another. Cal Rosa delivered some pretty brutal kicks to Aldana's leg that basically ballooned up. But Aldana mm-hmm. just had, you know, the better, more effective striking on the feet. But and Rosa had her fair share of shots in, and both ladies' stock went up with this fight. This was absolutely oh, for sure. This is a classic, sure. and I would love to see. I would love to see these two do it again down the line. Oh, 1,000, 1,000%. And um, I think it will end up happening down the line. It's just a matter of when. That's what that's what I think. Uh, also, shout out to Cody Garbrandt, another big prelim performer, uh, getting the knockout of Brian Kelleher. He's back in a big way. That was a really a neat, much-needed win for Cody Garbrandt. Um, the call-out of Figgy, however, I don't know. Like, I know they were supposed to fight originally a couple, a uh, few years ago. I think it was um, Garbrandt who was supposed to get the title shot uh, that Moreno, I mean, pardon me, not Moreno, uh, I think it was Alex Perez received, which then then led the next month because he won in quick fashion, Figgy. Moreno won in quick fashion. I think that was against Royville in November of 20. They then met in December 20, which led us to the Figgy-Moreno rivalry. So I know they have that history, but... You know, I think even with a newly one, a new one thirty-five Figgy, I I don't know if that's match of Garbrandt wants. Um, I don't know if it's one that he wants, but it's one that I would be down to see. And I think, even though I can't confirm, I think Cody Garbrandt being on UFC three hundred makes a whole lot of sense. I could see that. I just don't mm-hmm. know if that's the fight he should have because I'm worried. I'm worried that Figgy could do something brutal to him. Fair take. Uh, but yeah. Overall, I think like I think the prelims massively delivered. I think uh Emmett's knockout was brutal and fantastic. I think Shavkat's submission win was great, as opposed to whatever people think. The two title fights being one-sided, Colby's illusionalness and Ferguson kind of brought the card down for me, though. I'm in B plus B kind of range. I'm gonna be a little bit more generous and say A minus simply for the fact that. The way the presentation came off on TV, um, the the fight hype, while it was dark, kept me emotionally invested in what was going on um, leading up to Saturday. I think everything around the event was just, was in terms of just um, presentation and the, and the way the UFC did everything, while it was controversial at times, it, it kept the viewer interested, as I just said. So I think for all those things alone, including... Leanne Edwards beating Colby Covington, which I hoped would happen and did happen. I'm going to 
It was just an A minus and just as a cherry on top. I on on predictions, it was my best UFC card of the entire year, going eleven and one, only losing the the very first eight of the night. So kudos was kudos to me for nearly having a perfect card, very similar to you a couple of months ago. So so when it comes to predictions, I'm only feeling good vibes and ring twenty twenty four, and we're we're gonna have a banger a year for for both of us and get many and get many. These fights right. That's the that's yeah. The, that's I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy ending the year with a nine and three, like that. That was, you know, I, I think we were pretty on point with. Oh, for sure. We made. For sure. There's just some UFC pay per views where they, they feel easier to pick, and this was this was this was one of them. For sure. And just because it's easy doesn't mean it's not entertaining. Because there were entertaining fights, like I did. Mention. Right. Exactly. Um, and then also they made announcements about some plans for 2024. Thank God they're not going to do it for the first fight night of the year, but they are going to start to go away from the Apex a bit. Obviously, we've talked about before, Zan, that they're going to make their Saudi Arabian debut in March, right before the week before during uh, Miami for 299. Canada uh, is going to be hosting 297 in Toronto in Ju- in uh, January, uh, headlined by Strickland and Duplessis. They've announced in a little teaser promo during fight week, and they aired it after the pay per view. They're looking to go back to Australia. They're going to go back to France. I assume another Paris card in September. Yeah. March 30th, they're going to do Atlantic City. And then, of course, the big one, April 13th, UFC 300. We still have which, no idea who's main eventing, but... Which Dana almost all but confirmed would be taking place at the T-Mobile Arena in Vegas, which is a good sign considering that 200 was in Vegas and so it was 100, so it's nice to keep the theme going. For me personally, I'm very excited to see them go to Saudi Arabia. Um, Dana said that it's going to be a his words, not mine, not normal fight night at weekend. So I'm interested to see what fight night card they put together. I'm interested to see if it's a title fight that we're at least expecting, or maybe maybe it's Muhammad Makai ever some some other interesting um, main event internationally that we're. We're not thinking about, but I think out of all of those locations, Saudi Arabia is the most interesting, just given how much investment they put into combat sports in general. With it's so much going on, um, boxing wise, which we're which we're going to get it into in just a second, and I think mm-hmm. that's a, a great segue into the final combat sports event of the year, which is Day of Reckoning taking place December twenty third. This is one that we've been waiting for for a bit now. Um, and I think it's interesting to see that now the UFC is following suit with this whole Saudi Arabia boom. And I think this is going to be the first of many cards over the next several years, uh, with that partnership. Um, for me, Zan, I mean, obviously I could, I could do the given and you and say Atlantic city for the East coast tri-state bias, but I kind of want to lean to the Canada card. And now that's not just because of Tricus Duplessis. But, Sam, I know they've gone back to Canada. They went to uh, at Edmonton, Vancouver this year for 289 with the Nunes retirement fight. But Edmonton and Vancouver and all that, whenever they go to Western Canada, it seems like a bit of a... And Calgary. It always seems like a bit of a curse. This, yeah, this yeah. card is going to be taking place in Toronto. And, Sam, we've seen the Toronto crowd be very, you know, massively into it, be very active on these right. fights. Toronto is a hell of a fight city, uh, an underrated fight city. And I'm excited to see what they can bring to a card of the magnitude like 297 is going to be, especially after seeing Strickland and Duplessis get into a whole fight in the crowd at 296. Right. So um, speaking of that fight, does it make you even more hyped for the fight? Uh, even even, even more? Even I, I have to admit, as much as I'm not a fan of some of these tactics, yes, that does make me hyped up about this fight. Does it does it make does it make you uber confident that in four or weeks time DDP will be the new UFC middleweight champion of the world? Or are you willing or you, you know willing I'm to... not gonna pick you know I'm not gonna pick against him. I can't <laughs> of course at this of point. course. Yeah, I, I, the, I'm on that train till it until it dies. Yeah, for the those of you who have not seen the brawl, it's been viewed over five million times. Um, and if you haven't seen the brawl, you're probably under a rock because it was top three trending in the world, not just in sports, but literally in the entire world, which means uh, the UFC has gone global of sorts. But anyway, speaking of global, we have to move on now because there's boxing to talk about. We have Day of 
Oh, oh, baby. Yeah. Hold on. Uh, we can't forget about Jake Paul. My bad. My, my, my bad. We, my bad. Before we, be, be, before, <laughs> we get, be, before we get to the actual fighting of the weekend, we, we cannot forget the circus that was Jake Paul versus Andre August that took place in Orlando, Florida. It was not a traditional this one pay-per-view. Tom, I don't even know if you want to call this a boxing match or what it was, but that was one of the that was one of the worst displays of combat I think I've I I I have ever seen. Yeah, it was almost it, let's it, it, call this for what it was. Okay. This was a legitimate stay busy fight. I mean I was in a conversation Zan with Nico one of the one of the uh heads here at ETB the you know on the social media front and he's like you know we were both we both looked at each other like who the hell is Andre August and honestly you know it's one of those things again there's Jake Paul taking some or any boxing star taking somebody you know some no name it, it, this was a tomato can fight Zan I, I I don't I hate being mean but and I don't mean to rub Andre August the wrong way but this was a tomato can fight yeah, not only was this a tomato can fight, this was just a flat-out embarrassment. It was, it was almost like Andre August wasn't even ready to go, so much so that he was so nervous that he would not let anybody backstage interview him because he was literally that, that nervous to walk out there. I think that tells you all you need to know about how that fight was going to go and how it eventually went. It was just very, very um, disappointing and, and, and shocking just for the point of just just just, just to zonage. I mean, you you invest all that money in Jake Paul to to make him into the star that he is, and that's the that's the guy who ends up fighting. Do you want to know this? Going into this fight, the collective record of Andre August's opponents was 34, 65, and six. How embarrassing is that? <laughs> Well, that leads me with a question, Sand. Who's Jake Paul fighting next? Is he going after that Nate Diaz? Is he going to have his PFL debut? I would assume he would have to have his PFL debut next. Is he going to try for that Jake uh, Nate Diaz rematch in MMA? I'm going to say, I'm going to be bold and say that Jake Paul is comfortable with where he is, and I think he's going to do everything he can to run from it. That's what, that's what, I, that's what I think. What do, you, what do you think? Well, first of all, and again, maybe this is PFL bias, biasness, but I think after a fight, a performance like that in the boxing against Andre August, his his next fight needs to be his MMA debut. He especially if the PFL is going to be doing the kind of pay per views that they want to do in 2024. It's got to be him as either a co headliner or a headliner, and they got to find somebody suitable for Jake Paul to fight. But then again, mm -hmm. the question becomes, you know, what's suitable? Suitable in MMA, because he has a no-no record technically there, should be, you know, somebody who's a beginner. Something like how they found Mickey Gall for CM Punk. But if you're talking about a headliner, you know, are, is the PFL going to be willing that, you know, they can make a pay-per-view just based on, you know, the name of Jake Paul alone? They probably can't. So then they're going to have to match him up with somebody at, Either they're going to have to match him up with somebody who's completely going to outclass him, or he's got to be like a co-headliner or third from the headline kind of fight. Well said. Uh, one other thing before we get to Day of Reckoning, Sam. Um, be talk about, we're going to talk about Joshua Wilder. There's been some reports about that maybe there might have been some agreement, again, six, seven years too late, that they could fight on March 9th. However, however, uh, Raphael, Dan Raphael, uh, basically is saying, you know, uh, they're in negotiations, but it's not final. No, it's it's not it's not final, and uh, it leads me to believe that again, boxing is going to get its is going to is going to get in its own yet again, considering that there are two conflicting reports. So I'm going to bank on the assumption that this fight doesn't happen versus it potentially happening. Do you feel the same way? I'm, I'm starting. It goes I'm back starting to, to I, doubt it. Yeah, I, it, Zan, it goes back to what I said about the um, about the undisputed title fight, uh, the undisputed heavyweight title fight. That is, I will believe it when I see it. I will believe it when it, all the reports come out confirmed, and when the two are in a press conference across the aisle away from one another. Sounds good to me. I will feel the exact same way. All right, on to this weekend day of reckoning. 
Yes, because we have to have one more card. Yeah, because the Saudi Saudi Arabia paid so much money that we got to have one more card. And it's got a lot of names on there. But they're not going to be Anthony Joshua versus Deontay Wilder. We're going to have Anthony Joshua versus Otto Wallen, who, I mean, is a talented heavyweight. But he's the kind of heavyweight that's used to for the means of, you know, bumping up guys who are close to the championship or are former champions and need the bounce back like a Joshua or Wilder. Yeah, this should be a cakewalk for, for Joshua. And if it isn't, I think we have a bigger problem on our hands. Um, I think this is a very similar. We stay a busy fight knowing what Joshua has in the, in the rear view mirror coming up. And uh, he should get this done in my opinion, in about six. Right. So it should, it should be a, it should be a relatively easy, uh, easy win for him in my opinion. I mean, he he got the knockout of Robert Hellenius in uh, August. That was a bit of a that was a bit of a uh, you know short notice fight though. But Jermaine Franklin, Zan, he fought him in April and he went to a decision. And that's my concern is that I I think Joshua is going to get it done easy, but I don't know if he's going to knock him out. I I think this might go to a decision or it's at least going to go late. Interesting. We'll see. I, I think th- I think if he gets it done, it's not going to be till about round nine or ten. I could see, uh, I I could see a later finish too. Uh, co-headliner Zan, I feel like personally, considering the fact that both these guys are former heavyweight champions, this should be headlining above Anthony Joshua versus Otto Wallen. But I guess because Joshua had more belts, that's the way it is. I mean, I th- think so too. But simply put, I think Parker's too old, and Wilder's just gonna have a field day. What do you What do you think? Uh, yeah, I I want to give. Parker the credit that it's due, but he's not going to be keep able to keep up with the power of Wilder. I'm going to go round four or five Wilder knockout. I'm going to go. I'm going to go a little bit later than that and say round seven. I think that Parker survives Wilder's early storm, uh, stays in the fight for a little bit, and then gasses out, gets tired, and loses. That's what. That's what I think. I can see that the other big, I uh, say big heavyweight fight. You got Daniel Dubois returning. Of course, he was unsuccessful as of late against, uh, I think it was Usyk in a heavyweight championship fight. So he's going to rebound, taking on Jarrell Big Baby Miller, who could have had title shots before. I think he was slated to fight Joshua in 2019 before failing a drug test and leading to the whole Andy Ruiz Ruiz story. Yeah, and I actually think think that story is going to come back to bite him, and I think that... uh, Dubois puts his back nicely, remains in the title picture, and I think it's a decision over Miller. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go. I agree with you 100%. 12 round unanimous, I mean, 10 round unanimous decision over uh, over Jarrell Miller for Dubois. I think he's going to put on, and I think it's going to be a fairly convincing one, too, where he wins, where he wins about three quarters, if not more, of the rounds. Okay. And then there is a light heavyweight uh, fight that we need to talk about because there's going to be a title on the line. It's going to be Dimitri Bivol taking his uh, light heavyweight championship. He is the WBA super champion, as opposed to the regular champion, which who is Canelo. It's Dimitri Bivol taking on Lyndon Arthur. Uh, I think this is an easy win for Bivol. I think he's just got all the talent in the world. I think so too. Granted, though, granted though, when you look at um, when you when you look at Lyndon Arthur um, stylistically, I mean, he's been he's been around the sport a long time. Um, He's held the Commonwealth uh, White Heavyweight title before, and he's a winner of, let's see, he's a winner of forged in fights, including a very dominant win over um, Joel McIntyre. And if you remember how Joel McIntyre used to be back in the day, you know, you know, what a, you know what a big win that was. But to me, I just think the level of competition that he's fought compared to Bivol is 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 light years uh, below and. Of what, like you said, I think it's an easy win for Bibble, and I actually think he finishes him within within five. It'll be, I think, it'll be a very nice five, wow. uh, uh, KO win for him and a statement win. That's what that's what I think. Wow. See, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the flip of us with Wilder Parker. I'm gonna say I think Bibble can get it done. Uh, I I think he can get it done, but I I had this one go into a decision. I think it's just gonna be a near sweep of the scorecards. My question <laughs> to you, Dan. Because he's coming off wins, you know, we make mention, he beat Canelo, who is the WBA regular champion now. He beat Gilbert, Gilberto Ramirez, 
do you think there's a chance that we could get a Bivol versus Canelo rematch to you to make one WBA light heavyweight champion? Yeah, and I could see it being I could see it happening in in, in May or September. Yeah, I could. I, I don't know if Bivol was on the names for May, but if Canelo wins if Canelo wins in May, if it's not Bivol, I could see a Bivol Canelo rematch for uh for Mexican Independence Day weekend. Which would be a crazy if it, if they did that, you know, to go alongside the UFC doing those UFC at the Sphere. Yeah, that would be a very wild combat sports weekend with a lot of choices. But no, nonetheless, that will wrap up a very crazy year that was 2023 in combat sports, and will wrap up a wrap up the quote unquote season of the MMA outside. It is we're we're not going to be done and just yet though, as we have um the. Stub show and the award show along the way as well. So, so stay tuned for when those drop. But before I let you guys go, be, be sure to like and subscribe. Be sure to follow the Empty the Bench podcast network across social media at ETB Network as we are inching closer and closer to a thousand subscribers every single week. So the more you like, comment, share, and subscribe, it helps us out a ton. Uh, when you make our content, you can follow us there. And then, of course, my name is Dan Bando. You can follow me. At Zambino99 across social media. I'm a staff writer for BJPen.com and also a Sunday news writer um, for MMA Knockout. And then, of course, to my left is my longtime co host, Tom Obano. You can find his work over at MMA News and Fan Side at MMA. And of course, once the PFL season rolls around again, I am sure you will see him uh, continuously doing live results for their website for both um, the European series, the Challenger series, and all the new. Um, things that the PFL is planned now or that the Bellator PFL deal is finalized. So um, for for me, for me and Bando, that's Tom Albano. We, we just want to thank you guys again for joining us for another year of combat sports. It was a banner year in the industry with a lot of news notes and a lot of great fights. And we can't wait to bring it all to you in 2024. Before we get out of here, we just want to tell you to be Joe Piper. Enjoy the four weeks of um no UFC and time with your families over the Christmas holiday. And we will see you in a brand new year for 2024 previewing UFC 297 and beyond Tom, any, uh, any final parting words before we get out of here? Yeah. So I'll give you those dates, by the way. So I think the plan is December 26th, our normal, you know, time slot. That's a Tuesday, 7 PM Eastern. I believe that is when we will drop the award show where you and I will talk about all the best that it was inside the cage and sometimes the ring in 2023. And then I believe New Year's Day, Monday, January 1st, 7 p.m. Eastern, we will release the uh, best of where we talk, have, you know, highlight some of our favorite clips and our favorite moments from our episodes over the course of 2023. So that is the plan. Oh, and I should mention a little programming note on that wrote. Uh, the week of January 8th, so that Tuesday would be the 9th. We are going to be off. We're going to have extend out as part of our little break. We are planning to return Tuesday, January 16th. That will be our return date. Tuesday, January 16th, 7 p.m. Eastern. So we hope to see you there in 2024. Until then, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and we'll see you next year. See you next year. 